We miss you all here in this sanctuary, but give thanks that you are with us worshiping in your homes. Our scripture lesson today can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for the word of the Lord. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. He told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. May God bless the speaking and the hearing of God's holy word. Amen. The jars were empty. These stone vessels were easy to carve. They were made from soft limestone. They were typically used for ritualistic washing and cleansing. Each jar would hold 20 or 30 gallons of clear, purifying, cleansing, sustaining waters of baptism but it says the jars were empty. Empty jars, empty spaces, empty nests, empty spirits, empty hearts, empty streets, empty sanctuary. If we've learned anything over the last several months, we've come to understand what it means to carry an empty jar. We know what it means to carry loss and grief. We know what it means to feel afraid or threatened. We all know what it means to pray for youth or a young adult who seems to be turning into themselves or turning away. We all know what it means to worry. We all know what it means to order our lives according to the assumptions and the divisions of our politics or our race or our money or our class. We all know what it means to stare at an emotional abyss separating us from the ones we love. We all know what it means to shut down or to feel misunderstood or to feel underappreciated or taken for granted. We all know what it means to wait. And it's not that these jars are necessarily so heavy, but they are cumbersome to lug around. They're three feet tall and two feet wide. One jar, two jar, three jars, empty jar after empty jar after empty jar. I'll tell you, the last wedding I officiated had been postponed from 2020 to 2021, and a week before the wedding, the bride tested positive for COVID. Do we cancel? Do we have the guests take rapid tests? 
the outdoor wedding was going to happen, but should they wear masks? What if someone wasn't vaccinated? Should we dance? Can we hug? The numbers are fluctuating. How much food and wine should we order? After two years of isolation and separation and division, who can blame us for lining up our jars outside or on the edges of our ordinary lives, especially when there's the occasional moment of celebration and joy? Well, Jesus and his mom and the newly gathered brood of disciples, they were all invited to an ordinary wedding in an ordinary, nondescript, rural village eight miles from Jesus' ordinary home in Capernaum. And the empty jars were lined up and forgotten about. You see, the guests had gathered, and the wedding had happened, and the feast was served, and then something goes wrong. I've never officiated a wedding where something hasn't gone wrong. The microphone dies. The flowers tip over, a ring is forgotten, the flower girl flails in the middle of the aisle, a family member passes out on a pew, hurricane ensues, a toast is horrifically inappropriate, the wine runs out. And right when it all starts to break down, wedding or not, Jesus shows up in the midst of all of our ordinary empty lives, filling them with unexpected, abundant, joyful wine. I guess when we read this scripture, we could talk about Jesus's chippy attitude, his tone of voice, his begrudging resistance. We could talk about his mama who patiently problem solves and affirms her son in spite of his attitude. We probably should talk about the fact that the Bible clearly celebrates feast and wine, but it deplores drunkenness. But no, this is the good part. Verse 11, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Every sign from heaven, every miracle depicted in the Bible reveals God's glory. Every miracle is an indicator of God's work in the world, God's revelation and love and choice to be with humanity at all cost. But here's the thing about Jesus. They were ordinary jars, standing alongside an ordinary wall in an ordinary village at an ordinary wedding. Mary and Jesus had an ordinary exchange between family members. She nagged. He rolled his eyes. Yes, Jesus did send the servers to fill up the jars with water, but he didn't pray. He didn't touch. He didn't speak. We don't know if the jars partially were filled up or if they were totally empty. We don't know when Mary figured the whole thing out or if Jesus tasted the wine first. There were 180 gallons of exquisite wine. Was it a good cab? Maybe a Pinot? The entire thing was unobserved and unexplained. The way it happened was so understated and quiet. And we think, this This is how it begins for Jesus. No rainbows, no pillars of clouds, no burning bushes, no heavens opening up, no walking on water, no. Just a quiet transformation to keep the party going. Well, it wasn't really about the party. 
And it wasn't really about the wine. It was about the one who transformed the wine. Jesus was the one who changed the ancient people's purifying water into life-giving, vivifying wine. Jesus was the one who transformed their ordinary lives, failures and all, into extraordinary realities of abundance and joy. Jesus, in the ordinary, everyday life, nearby, at a party, in the streets, in our hallways, in the hospital rooms, in classrooms, and yes, also in the back rooms of our hearts, wherever there's an empty vessel. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, on the ground, in the flesh, meets us where we are, interrupting, invading, infiltrating our ordinary realities, moving us forward, these signs are manifestations of the inbreaking of God's reign. So we must consider what all of this means for the universal church in 2022. As you all sit in your living rooms and we stand here in an empty sanctuary, what does this mean? Well, first of all, while many benefited from this miracle, the only people who knew where the good wine came from were the servers. Not the guests, not the bride, not the groom, not the host of the party, not even the disciples, not at first. Only the servers, the waiters, the workers who heeded Mary's instruction. They fill the empty jars, they serve, and they were the witnesses to Jesus' first sign on earth. And number two, the disciples believed Jesus was truly the Son of God after they tasted that wine. And then, in only a few days, they witness a raging mad Jesus overthrowing the money-changing tables and dooming the religious establishment at the temple. You see, Jesus' anger in the temple, that was another sort of sign. And biblical scholars, they hold the wedding miracle and the temple scene, they hold them together as a prelude to Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John. You see, these two stories together indicate the unbreakable union of God's grace and God's righteousness, God's mercy and God's justice. And here's the thing. Now we, good people of Selwyn, we are the body of Christ. We are on the ground in the flesh. In 54 years after the death of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I wonder how we are reflecting God's inbreaking of glory and righteousness to the world right now in our ordinary, messy, disjointed lives. About an hour ago, I had the honor of teaching our confirmation class on Zoom. Listen to their prayer requests. Listen to what they're asking God to break into. COVID, climate change, hunger, homelessness, violence, gun violence, racism, human selfishness and greed, and an overall mistrust and hatred for one another. Instead of making some general statement about our ordinary lives, it is perhaps better for someone else's perspective to be the voice we hear this morning on this matter. So I'm going to share an excerpt from King's letter from a Birmingham jail. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. 
in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice. I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinions. It was the thermostat that transformed the moors of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number and big in commitment. Things are different now, King writes. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day who, whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour, but even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. If the inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us, the opposition we now face will surely fail. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of God are embodied in our echoing demands. What sort of God is this that turns water into wine? What sort of God shows up into the empty spaces of our ordinary messy lives these spaces between us, the spaces created by sin and greed and mistrust and betrayal, the spaces between our relationships and our shared hopes, the spaces between our moments of forgiveness and laughter and celebration and even joy, the spaces between our moments of shared humanity and kindness in the face of loss and grief, the spaces between us when charity faces off with poverty and brokenness, this is not a story about the wine. It is a story about the one who changes water into wine. A savior who changes the way our story ends by filling the empty places of our predictable lives with abundant fruit and joy. What sort of God is this? A God of abundance, a God of generosity, and a God of impossible possibility. Amen. Let us continue our worship in prayer. God of all, we greet you this morning from the comfort of our homes. 
Lord, may we be awake to your spirit in our living rooms and houses as we worship you. We give thanks for this space, the sanctuary and virtual, that gathers us together. Lord, on this day, we remember and give thanks for the mighty works of Martin Luther King Jr. We pray that you would give us the strength and tenacity to continue his good works and carry on towards justice and peace for all of our siblings. God of strength, we lift up our Jewish brothers and sisters and pray for the hostages in yesterday's events. God, we give thanks for their rescue and their safety this morning. We must continue to seek justice against actions that violate human life and undermine the rights of others. As Reverend King prayed, Lord, purify our hearts that we may see thee. O oh God, in these turbulent days when fear and doubt are mounting, give us broad visions, penetrating eyes and the power of endurance. Help us to work with vigor for, warless, for a warless world, for a better distribution of wealth, and for a brotherhood that transcends race or color. Help us to know your presence among us, God. Comfort us with the strength of your guidance in a world experiencing so much pain and upheaval. Open our hearts and our minds that we continue to see your signs, your good works in the faces and hands of those around us knowing full that your goodness and mercy still reign. Lord, we know you are present in the midst of the uproar in our world. You are the one who sees us trying to juggle life with an ounce of grace. Forgive us when we reach our human limits and give up to our emotions and exhaustion. In these times, we often ask for signs that you are still near. Reveal yourself, a tiny glimpse of the kingdom that will keep us going. The reality is, is you are in control and our future belongs to you. Remind us that we belong to you. God, call us to remember the waters of our baptism. Make peace with the broken parts of our souls, the rejected parts because you are a God who pursues our hearts. Lord, help us to follow in the footsteps of your son, and may we follow close. And now gathering our voices to pray the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Siblings, God has abundantly blessed us and calls us to be a community that honors each other, that serves each other well and to share our love and our resources. During this time, we invite you to reflect on the ways that God may be calling you to use your gifts and talents in this season. Our text to give number is 704. 
734-9818. Let us go to God with our offerings. Now we'll pray in dedication. At the wedding feast at Cana, O God, you gladden the guests with divine generosity, filled to the brim and flowing over. We offer our gifts with grateful hearts. Bless them and our lives to your service that they may reveal your glory, nurture faith, and manifest the common good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now my friends, May the Lord support you all the day long until the shadow lengthens and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. And then in God's mercy, may God grant you a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at last through Jesus Christ our Lord until we meet again. Amen.